0: Hey, everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all of the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. While I've got your attention, I'm really excited to announce that Covered Press is now offering its journalist story management software for free for the first 500 journalists who sign up. As a journalist, I know how difficult it can be keeping track of all my stories, invoices, and communications with editors. Covered Press streamlines the whole journalism process and keeps you organized. Sign up at CoveredPress.com today to get one of the 500 free spots available. And now, enjoy our podcast. Welcome to the first of two special podcasts of It's All Journalism that we've put together for the holiday season. In years past, I've done a roundup of our most popular podcast of the year, This time around, we're doing something a little different. This week and next, we'll be revisiting the two most popular podcasts of 2021. In addition to reposting the episodes, we've reached out to get updates from our guests about what they've been up to since we last spoke. Back in August, I had the pleasure of talking to Lou Harry, the editor of Quill Magazine, and Nick Rogers of the Midwest Film Journal about the 110-plus journalism movies ranked list – They put together for the Society of Professional Journalists 110th anniversary. Lou graciously provided us with a short audio update, which includes information about some new journalism movies added to the list, including one that I advocated for during our conversation in August. After Lou's update, you'll get the full episode from August. Stick around at the end for some information about next week's episode. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Hello, Lou Harry here from Quill Magazine and the Society of Professional Journalists. We're thrilled that our conversation with It's All Journalism about our ranked list of journalism movies had such a positive response. And I hope it led to some passionate arguments, too. I know it does here as we continue to add to it and figure out where to rank each of the movies we add. Yes, we are continuing to add movies to what started out as a list of 110 films in honor of SBJ's 110th anniversary, but it has grown, as you'll see if you visit quillmag.com. Since recording the podcast in August, we've continued to partner with Midwest Film Journal to add to the list of movies both new and old. Brenda Starr is still at the bottom, and Spotlight is still at the top, but whenever we add movies in between, the numbers can move. The most recent batch of additions include the disappointing Wes Anderson film, The French Dispatch, currently ranked at number 76. We also looked at the Torchy Blaine films from the 1930s and added Blondes at Work, which now is at number 92. And one we should have had on the list from the beginning, A Face in the Crowd, is near the top at number 15. The list now stands at 139 movies. But by the time you listen to this, we may have hit 150, since we're preparing another batch of reviews to add, I hope, before the end of the year. Until then, I hope you enjoy revisiting Quill Mag and Midwest Film Journal's list of 110-plus journalism movies ranked. Thanks so much for, uh, for having us on as guests. I love engaging in the debate and discussion, but film and any arts criticism, I think, needs to work on its own for it to be fully satisfying to me.
0: Hollywood has a long fascination in creating movies about journalism and journalists. Some, like Spotlight or The Post, are inspiring, while others, like Network or Nightcrawler, expose the dark, seamy side of our industry. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I don't know how we missed this, but back in 2019, The Quill, which is the magazine produced by the Society of Professional Journalists, celebrated its 110th anniversary by publishing a list of 110 journalism movies. Quill editor Lou Harry and writer Nick Rogers are here today to talk about this list. Lou and Nick, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thanks. A pleasure to be here.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having us. So,
0: I'm really excited, you know, before we turn on the mics that uh, we're doing this because I used to talk with a friend of mine who was a, a movie reviewer on a fa- fairly regular basis and to talk about movies. And I haven't talked about movies in a while. And this is a great list because it fits right in our podcast that's has to do with journalism. But before we get to the list, let's uh, dig a little bit into each of your lives. So, first of all, what got you interested in journalism and what got you interested in, in movies? Lou, why don't we start with you? I grew up at the Jersey
1: Shore in Wildwood, New Jersey, and my earliest job was selling newspapers. I used to sell the, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer, Philadelphia Daily News, New York Times, and I would always read, even at the age of whatever age I was, 10, 11, 12, I would read Joe Baltake, who was the, the passionate moviegoer, the critic for the Philadelphia Daily News. He ended up going out to Sacramento after that. But that's the earliest newspapers that I remember actually reading were movie reviews. Flash forward a number of years after that, and I was at Temple University as a radio television film major. And a friend of mine became uh, an arts writer at the newspaper and invited me to join in and start reviewing movies. So movies were also my entry point into published journalism beyond a high school newspaper, my first uh, it'll age me, but the first film I reviewed for Temple News was The Big Chill back in 1983. And I've been, arts writing has been part of my my work ever since.
0: Before we go any further,
1: I need to ask, did you like The Big Chill? <laughs> I had mixed feelings about it. As a 19-year-old or whatever I was, I wasn't the prime target audience for that film. But yeah, I had mixed feelings. thought the music that everyone was celebrating and buying the album for was a little too much on
0: point. So yeah. it was critical at the time. I also had mixed feelings. I needed to check that. Otherwise we would have had to end the podcast uh, if
2: you answered incorrectly.
0: (laughs) Nick, how about you? How'd you get interested in journalism? How'd you get interested in writing about movies?
2: So I come from a a family full of writers, at least on the sibling side. My brother is a newspaper editor. My oldest brother is a newspaper editor. My second oldest brother has had an advertising career for years. And my closest brother in age is an advertising copywriter and was also an English teacher for for a long time. So Our parents just always instilled in us, you know, kind of a a love of words and a a love of of writing. You know, certainly my oldest brother being involved with journalism, that sort of opened, you know, that up as a career possibility for me. And it's something I've been involved with in in one way or another for more than a quarter century. I mean, I I started off kind of doing sports stringer work as a a high school student for a paper near my small town in, in Northwest Illinois. I eventually got a degree in journalism from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and worked for six years as the a and editor at a paper called the State Journal Register in Springfield, Illinois. As far as movies go, anybody who knows me will tell you that this has been a, a part of my life, you know, pretty much since I could formulate any kind of memory I can recall. I, I remember seeing the re-release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs when I was four and you know, Lou, I don't know if you ever did this, but when I was a kid, I would, I would look in the newspaper for the movie showtimes and try to figure out, you know, if I could, how many movies could I conceivably see in one day? I'd look at the movie times and try to kind of run the gamut of, okay, this movie's 97 minutes.
1: As a little bit older than you, I was the one who would get the TV guide every week and (laughs) circle all the movies because I was just before VCRs were kicking in. So I knew that I had one shot at the, the movie that was showing 1130 on Friday night. So I'd circle right. the movies that I wanted to make sure I got to that week.
2: Right. From there, I was sort of, you know, I remember being like the unofficial Oscar correspondent for my grade school classes. I remember being in seventh grade or, or in, in second grade rather, and writing the movies that had won the Oscar the night before on the blackboard. And it was the year platoon one. So you've got this seven year old kid, you know, writing out, you know, best picture platoon, you know, on a second grade blackboard. So I've been into movies, you know, pretty much as long as I can remember. So mixing them, you know, in the way that I have has, has kind of been, you know, just a, a big passion of mine throughout my life.
0: I'm closer to, to lose age. I also circled movies in the TV guide and even would go to bed early and set an alarm to wake up so I could watch a movie at two. People don't understand that anymore. Can't you just, like, just go to Netflix and find the movie there? I, it's different times different times but anyway you guys created this list uh, in 2019 so what was the genesis of this this list well as editor of Quill i had actually just
1: at the beginning of 2019 had joined spj as a staff member and taken over and so there was one issue that was already kind of in progress our spring issue we're a quarterly publication in addition to doing you know stories online at quillmag.com but the public the print publication is a quarterly So the first one, there were still some carryover stories that were planned for the summer, but there was a big gap there. To be honest, there was a time crunch, And I thought, you know, what can I do that would spark up the issue, maybe generate some interest, and we could actually have some fun with it, and I could get it done. We were also approaching the 110th anniversary, and I was planning to do a big issue that fall that would focus on more of the nuts and bolts journalism, that would look at the history of you know, journalism landmark events over the 110 years, looking at the evolution of the Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics and how that changed over the years, getting somebody to speculate on the future of journalism. And there were some meteor stories that were planned for summer as well. And I also, I come out of, I've worked in a lot of magazines. I was an editor on staff at Philadelphia Magazine, Indianapolis Monthly, and a few others. So coming from those regionals, I liked Sort of big, kind of audacious packages sometimes in publications. Those attention getting stories that take it to the next level. There are so many top 10 lists out there. So many, here's the five best this kind of movie, here's the 10 best this kind of play. And I thought, let's, we've got that 110 number hovering there. Let's go for it. And I thought we could do it because I knew the folks at Midwest Film Journal. That's Nick's online publication. I had done some, a little bit of writing for them at the time. I knew they had a team of really talented writers who could sort of come together on this. So that's when I reached out to Nick and the folks at Midwest Film Journal to see if if this would be manageable. Nick, you want to take it from there?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, this this was something that, you know, as Lou has mentioned, you know, he had done some writing for us and, and a lot of us have known Lou through Film journalist Association circles and just, you know, seeing him at, at press screenings. And so we had this, this kind of existing relationship, and, and when he came to us with this project, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think there was an ounce of hesitation from any of the kind of the five core team members that contributed. I mean, we, we all were immediately on board and excited for this just because of the scale of it. As Lou said, it's exciting to jump into something that is this audacious and bold and, and attention-grabbing. And just the span of movies that we would all, you know, be getting to watch from things that we knew and and loved well to things that we had never seen. It was just an exciting combination of old favorites, new discoveries, and, you know, a way to really just look at how this profession has been portrayed cinematically in so many different ways.
1: And we didn't want to just hit the usual suspects. Right. We didn't want to, we wanted to put that critical piece out there. We wanted to talk about the good, the bad, and the obscure, which, you know, most lists don't bother mentioning the Brenda Starr movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, or a lot of the the things like, you know, 10 Days in a Madhouse or the terrible Woody Allen film Scoop. You know, those tend to fall off the radar. But I think it's fun to bring them up. I knew we would have limited space in the publication. Getting 110 movies in there meant you know, a sentence or two, maybe about each, maybe a little longer with some of the the top ones. But we have this thing called the internet. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It seems to be a- (laughs) um,
0: lifeblood, apparently.
2: (laughs) It's really (laughs) catching on.
1: It's catching on. And it has, I believe in taking advantage of nearly unlimited space that's available there. So what we did, we asked the writers to give us a sentence or two. We could talk more about the process of how we sorted them out. But I wanted longer pieces for online. So they would get a sampling in the print edition, be able to go through the list and get an idea and look for the movies that they might've missed, share opinions. But online, we were going to do it in much greater depth.
0: I like the fact that you said that, that you were referencing you know, top 10 lists. So with 110, you've got 11 top 10 lists that you can sort of pile on top of each other. I mean, what actually qualifies as a, as a journalism movie? Once we started brainstorming a list, the thing that needed to happen to make it manageable,
1: we had to eliminate documentaries. We eliminated foreign language films, non-English films. And we eliminated, what's the third thing we eliminated? We eliminated strictly made for TV projects. That might be another list at some point. But that we thought would effectively thin the herd, but it turned out there were a lot more. Nick, our other criterias?
2: That pretty much covers it. I mean, as you said, I mean that only walled off the garden so much. And, you know, we'll certainly talk about how we've continued to expand the list later, but, you know, I think we've definitely found that there's certainly more to consider since we did the list. I mean, and not just new films either. And Certainly there have been, you know, films that kind of fell through our cracks or that readers of the list had suggested.
1: Some films we, we watched and then decided not to include. We thought a couple things. One, if you were describing the film to somebody briefly, would journalism or a journalist or reporting or some facet of that be a part of the description? Because there are some films that somebody just happens to be a reporter, but they could also have been an ad executive and it wouldn't have changed the film at all. Related to that, we were wondering, you know, is a journalist one of the key characters? There are films where, yes, there's a journalist in the movie somewhere, but it doesn't really hinge on that character we did include some films where you know the journalist piece of it is sort of just a device a person is being interviewed or something like that some of those those did make the cut but there was there were some difficult choices in there and there are a few that we're considering bringing back into the mix
0: i saw and i know somebody called you out about this face in the crowd yes you know, the fact that was left out i was really kind of surprised well maybe not too surprised but that's the type of movie that a lot of people today don't know about right
1: it's a great movie. And I, I'd have it high on the list. I would I want to discuss the possibility of including that I want to watch it again. I've seen it half dozen times, but not in the last few years. But because that character is a commentator, does that qualify as a journalist? We're on the fence about that one. It does get included in a lot of lists, though. I don't know how you feel about that one, Nick
2: it's also been a long time since I've seen it. I mean, like you, it's been long enough that I'd also want to watch it again. I mean, I I think that's part of what's been fun about the list and certainly generated, you know, a lot of spirited discussion, even in the early going among the six of us, you know, is this a journalism movie or is this a movie that has a journalist in it? And so, you know, I think that certainly as we expand the list, that definition maybe gets a little bit more elastic. One of the more recent additions we made was, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, which is a movie that I really enjoy. But Gwyneth Paltrow's quote unquote journalism in that is is a little bit suspect compared to some of the other movies that we have on the list. And then, but that's also what makes the list fun. I mean, you've got things like Superman on there, which is not first and foremost about Clark Kent's journalism, but you can't separate Superman from his day job or Spider-Man. You know, similarly, you can't separate Peter Parker from his photojournalism. So that's what allowed for a lot of, you know, kind of fun detours and inclusions that that people might not normally expect from lists like this.
1: Right. One of the ones that we wrestled with that we ended up not including was an early silent movie with Harry Houdini, who played a journalist, technically, but it was really just an adventure film that was trying to make Harry Houdini, you know, a movie star. It was a fun one to, to try to, you know, piece together and try to, get access to but ultimately it didn't make
2: the list
0: and you're talking about a lot of a lot of different things a lot of different types of movies that are on there and if you look at the list there are a lot of the usual suspects although the movie usual suspects is not in it because there's no (laughs) journalist in it but you know there's all the president's men network spotlight his girl friday you know these are movies people think about when they think about of a journalism movie are what other types of movies out there that, that may surprise people that are included in the list besides maybe superman
1: Well, two that jump out to me that I'm actually glad are on the list. One is in our top 10. This was our original number nine was the movie Christine, not the Stephen King film about the killer car. (laughs) No, but the 2016 film starring Rebecca Hall about the journalist in Sarasota who shot herself on the air. It's an amazing film, not a film I want to watch again. I mean, it's a harrowing film but I think incredibly insightful into the world of journalism, into that period of time, into that character. I think it's, it's an outstanding film and should be seen, but it's, you know, it ain't a date movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's, that's definitely my, you know, that's a, that's a film I'm proud of to see so high too, because, you know, like Lou, I, I thought very highly of that film and, and Rebecca Hall's work in it. And I think that that's another great thing about this list is that it's so all-encompassing that you're going to find something on here that you've that you've never heard of let alone not seen and I think that Christine is one of those movies for people a vastly underrated film that people will discover from this list like I said that's a big one for me another one I'm glad that we were able to get on the list is a movie called nothing but the truth that is a very good movie about journalism with with Kate Beckinsale whom if people know Kate Beckinsale, they probably know her from, you know, the schlocky action movies that she seems to find herself, you know, How, yeah, how starring many how many zombie
0: of... reporters is she killing this one?
2: <laughs> uh, none. And it, and it also has, you know, David Schwimmer in it. It's, it's a very atypical cast for, you know, what turns out to be a very intellectually meaty movie about journalism. And that movie is from Rod Lurie, who actually used to, used to do film criticism and worked in journalism. And so, So a movie like that, uh, one we just added that I had seen, but I had not seen it since it initially opened in 1992 was The Public Eye with Joe Pesci as a a photojournalist kind of on the fringe of acceptable coverage, right? I mean, he, he sort of specializes in these, you know, very seedy, but evocative portraits of New York, you know, circa the 1930s. And, you know, it was a movie that at the time, everybody loved Joe Pesci. He'd won the Oscar. He'd been in Home Alone. He was doing all these movies, and you know, it's not a funny movie at all. But it's one that that's a great example of a film that has just sort of fallen through the cracks over the last thirty years. That when I watched it, it's like you know, this is a perfect example of of kind of those hidden gems that we wanted to feature as well as the the heavy hitters.
1: And you could make an interesting double feature, some double features in here if you pair that, say, with Nightcrawler, of course, dick Gyllenhaal film about basically an ambulance-chasing would-be journalist. Turned psychopath. <laughs> Turned psychopath. <laughs> but not every, every film has sort of that, that kind of weight. One that we have in there hovering in the 30s in our ranking is Safety Not Guaranteed, which is a small, quieter film. Often when we think about journalists on film, we think about broadcast and we think about newspapers. But as a magazine guy, somebody who came out of magazines and still works for one, It's always interesting. Sometimes there are occasionally a decent magazine film out there, and safety not guaranteed. Although safety not guaranteed is a good example of one where sometimes we have some doubts about how accurate it is about journalism. Yeah, this is a film about whether you know somebody can time travel or not. That's not the point. But it's that a magazine staffer could go for a couple of days on a speculative story and take along a couple of interns with them. I'm not sure if the editor would would allow that in the budget, but Maybe that's being a little too close to.
0: Well, it depends on whether they're unpaid interns or not, I guess. You bring up an interesting point because, you know, obviously, you know, I mentioned network and we've talked about a lot of newspaper movies. Are there any good digital movies about digital journalism that have come out in the last 20 years?
1: That's a good question. I'm trying to think of any.
2: I don't know that there's anything that's specifically focused on, Internet journalism. I mean, and if you look at the if you look at a lot of the movies that have, you know, the kind of the heavy hitters of late. Right. The Post is obviously a period piece. Spotlight exists in that era, but it is not about that process of journalism.
1: Would you put Borat's subsequent movie film in that? <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, no it's, it probably comes the closest in the sense that, you know, I mean, it, it's obviously contemporary as of last year. Even the premise there is that his daughter wants to become a broadcast journalist. Right. Good point. But there's definitely some of that, you know, I mean, I think the very run and gun guerrilla nature of those movies feels maybe of that digital piece more than some more traditional entries. But that's a great question, Michael. And and I think that, you know, I guess I I think of this is not necessarily something that we would put on the list, but you have Godzilla versus Kong, which came out earlier, earlier this year that has a podcaster who is, you know, I mean, he's a conspiracy theorizing podcaster, but there aren't a lot of, you know, podcaster movies yet maybe there will be in a, in a few years and we'll and we'll add them to the list
0: and there have been thrillers and you know horror movies that have hinged on social media not necessarily you know newsroom social media right like, like unfriended a, yeah yeah and that's
1: one's where we we sort of wrestled with if if media if it's sort of about media does that still make it a film for this list if a film can convince me that there is still journalism involved, you know, all journalism is media, all media is journalism.
0: It's interesting because also on your list is the sweet smell of success, which I'm always glad to see on lists to remind people to check out that movie. And you don't think of it as a journalist movie, but he was a, you know, he was a gossip columnist. So, and that's, you know, very reflective of, of that type of journalism in that, that period of time.
1: Right. And in that period, gossip columnists were at least the big ones and we did a story actually about them maybe a year ago and quill a year and a half ago were as influential as any news reporter they were making and breaking careers they were aggressively pushing for scoops so yes yeah, sweet Smell of success is uh, certainly one in there and one of the more quotable movies in the mix yeah, as well for
0: sure one of the best ri- written and shot movies oh man
1: the, yeah the visuals on that are fantastic
0: so, you know, we've been talking about different types of uh, journalism movie, movies here. What is Hollywood saying about journalists? You know, we've got Superman on our list. So obviously, we're heroic people, and Spotlight certainly has, has some nice things. But by and large, what would you say is Hollywood's sort of view of the journalist?
1: I think we're all over
0: the map. I mean, if you look at this list,
1: we're heroes and we're slimy. We're, we're geniuses and we're idiots. You know, we're out for ourselves and we're out for everyone to make the world a better place. I think you could find a festival in this mix to back up any of those beliefs, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that's very true. I mean, I think that the thing that that has been kind of heartening for me about this is, is that we've seen more, more and more screenwriters and directors and actors and actresses try to move away from, you know, a very narrow view of what a journalist does. I mean, there's a movie that we added to the list from last year that I watched called Still Here, that if you look at the list, it's very low on the list. And that's the sort of movie that reminds you, yeah, there's still people out there who really don't have any idea about what the profession actually entails. The relationship between the editor and the reporter in that movie is just absolutely laughable for anybody that knows, you know, anything about how things work. But, you know, Lou is right. It is all over the place. But I think even in the sense that, you have those diverse portrayals, you're seeing just much more nuanced and more writers and and creators trying to figure out who are these people. It's not just their job, but you know, who are these people and it's obsessives and it's, you know, messy folks, you know, people who can barely function outside of the job to people who, I mean, this is, this is crusading in all of the right ethical ways. So kind of the joke is that, you know, the default occupation in most comedies is architect because you know, upper middle class and and you know they're creative and they draw things. You know, I think it's nice to know that we've kind of moved past journalists as kind of like the shorthand for something and there's more complex portrayals of people in the profession.
1: Right. To be clear, we didn't we didn't rank them based on these are the ones that most accurately reflect the everyday and honor the work of journalists, even though the top two that we have spotlight and all the president's men clearly are about you know, the hard work of this job when it's done at its best. These are films that really honor the work that goes into it. And neither film is is burdened with a lot of subplots. If any, we don't know necessarily about the families of all these characters. We're not interested in the relationships and the romances and everything else. But then at number three, we have His Girl Friday, which is just a very fun, smart, movie that we're not looking to for rah-rah, uplifting, aren't journalists great? So, you know, there's there's a range that we're getting at. And then if you go even deeper to our fifth one, Shattered Glass is a really disturbing portrait of journalism almost at its worst.
0: Yeah. I remember when that came out and talking to a senior editor about that and saying, yeah, this is really kind of a horror movie for newspaper editors because it sort of all hinges on that trust we have when we send a reporter out to do a story that the information that they bring back to us is true, and backed up. So, yeah, pretty scary movie. And I that's also, one I
1: hear I hear very often. I mean, any number of times I've heard of uh, journalism professors showing that film in class. That and Spotlight are the two that I hear that the most about.
2: One other movie that you know I'm I'm glad is on the list. I mean, just as far as you know, kind of thinking about you can a whole other series of podcasts about the state of the real world profession and the future, but, you know, a movie like Bad Education, which illustrates how a high school journalist helped take down, you know, this deep fraud that was being perpetrated by the administration of, of her school. I mean, I, I think that there's value in that to see that there is, you know, you know, to afflict the comfortable is still something that, that people can do and should do
1: that's a film that i went into watching having no idea that it was going to be a journalism movie that would end up anywhere near our list
0: i had the dubious uh, joy of uh taking my son who's in his 30s too to go see ace in the hole the big carnival for the first time and he came out of that movie and just kind of looked at me said man you know journalists are really terrible people <laughs>
1: yeah that's that would be on the list of yeah. Um, you know, here's a great example of what not to do that movie. You just want to take a shower afterwards.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there, there are others like that, but there are also many positive ones. And, and you've mentioned a few, you know, one of the things about movie criticism right now, movie reviews right now, because we have so much easy access, it's so much different type of content. It sometimes is overwhelming for our audiences. Where do you see the role of, The reviewer, the the movie critic at this point. You know, Nick, what do you think?
2: To me, it's finding finding someone who you can trust, first of all. I mean, I think that anyone can do it now. Not everyone can do it in a way that foments kind of a, a thought that, you know, this person has some, you know, some formal background in this and can assess things in a way that feels like an analysis, but but also doesn't feel you know, too overly mannered or academic. So kind of finding somebody who's conversational that you can trust, I think is, is key. But to me, I think that there's just, there's so much content. And between all the streaming services, you know, I'm sure Lou will attest to this. There's just, there's no way for any one person to keep up with all of it. But I think to me, it's just the role of it is almost sort of helping curate what is worthwhile from this glut of content, Whereas, you know, even 25 years ago, it was very much, you know, what is in theaters, right? That's a very big shift, you know, from that to where we are now. So I think the role is just kind of helping, helping people discover what kind of rises above the noise of that decision paralysis where you're sitting in front of your Roku and you sit there for 30 minutes and, and wind up choosing nothing. What could you choose or what should you choose? I
1: share part of that view, but I also believe, I mean, this a, I'll step back for a second. A lot of people read the New York Times book review with no intention of ever reading the books. A lot of people read travel magazines and never leave their house. A lot of people read cooking publications and are still ordering out, you know, for delivery without actually making anything. I think reviews For me, you know, the extreme academic ones can be valuable. The extreme consumer reports side of things, you know, that can be valuable to some people when they're making purchasing decisions. I want to read and I want to write pieces that are engaging, thoughtful, entertaining, and thought, you know, as I said, thoughtful, that somebody will enjoy reading even if they're not going to see the film. Great if they are. I love engaging in the debate and discussion. But- Film and any arts criticism, I think, needs to work on its own for it to be fully satisfying to me. So I want both of those. Sometimes, yes, I want, I've read pieces in Midwest Film Journal about films that I had no intention of watching and went, you know, oh, okay, I'll watch that tonight. But I've also read pieces that I really liked and I'm glad that I read, but still have no intention of watching the film. I don't think it has to be You know, It's a purely consumer report, and I have a problem with, and this is a bigger picture issue on arts journalism in general, I'm not a big fan of the reviews or criticism that feels like I'm just grading the work. It's not as much about discussion. It's it's, here's a grade and here's the plot. That doesn't interest me at
0: all. It sort of speaks to a world in which we have have Rotten Tomatoes tunnels Hmm. ranking every movie that we see, and, and we base a lot of our decisions on that. Right.
1: There's some value to that, I I believe, because if if everyone hates a film, but if a film has 50 percent, well, that looks bad. But if that means half the people who see it absolutely love it and half absolutely hate it, I'm interested in perhaps
0: in that film. That's in your ballpark. So, you know, I'm going to sort of wrap up here, but, you know, we're in the middle of August. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. What piece of streaming content or movie that's in the theater would you recommend right now and it doesn't have to be a journalism movie it could be anything
2: go nick <laughs> <laughs> well i mean my favorite film of the year so far was one for which i think people had pinned a lot of hopes on as a, a sort of a return to a theatrical experience that just flopped i think relative to expectations and i know lou was a fan of this film as well Is is in the heights it has the the exuberance of of a classic musical. You know, Lou is certainly more well-versed in this form than I am, but I think my problem with the contemporary musical is that they're cut too much. They're cut too much to, to not feel like a classic musical to people who are somehow afraid of musicals. In the Heights does not feel that way to me, but it still feels contemporary, both in its story and in its rhythm. And I just think it's a fantastic adaptation of the show itself, that I was fortunate enough to see the show to make that comparison. You know, I would say kind of second to that, something that is currently streaming, I think In the Heights will be back on HBO Max at some point soon, but Judas and the Black Messiah is currently streaming on HBO Max. And that's a film from earlier this year that actually contended for the Oscars that happened this year because of the calendar shift for, the pandemic, so it's already won its Oscars, but is technically a, a film from 2021.
0: So, Nate, you had a lot of time to think, Lou. What would you?
2: <laughs> well, it stole my thunder a little bit. I'll back up the support
1: for In the Heights, which I think is a remarkable adaptation. Lately, as Nick mentioned, I'm a fan of movies. Actually, during pandemic downtime ish, I've been trying to watch every Broadway musical adaptation that I somehow missed, and I've seen about three dozen of them over the period that's a remarkable a remarkable adaptation it's gotten negative flack for a very specific reason and i think a good reason the fact that there's sort of a for one of a better word whitewashing of the characters there aren't a lot of variety of skin tones let's say in that film it got a lot of pushback and i think it's possible for a film to have a flaw and still be great And I think that's one of them. I had similar feelings about Soul, which is a remarkable animated film from Pixar that I think has a core flaw, but is a outstanding film. Those are two of my favorites, as well as from last year, if you missed it at the end of last year, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is terrific. And I'm hoping all of those plays continue to get adapted. But I know both of those are uh, theater turned film. And maybe I'm betraying my theater interests there a little bit, but a lot of, a lot of adaptations don't work. They don't figure out a way to make the translation to screen happen. And those, those two happen too.
0: Sometimes flaws, you know, movies succeed despite their flaws, as you were sort of saying, without flaws. I mean, if we just dismiss great movies that had flaws, we wouldn't be watching Apocalypse Now, which is a very flawed movie, but which is also a very great movie. I've been talking to Lou, Harry, and Nick Rogers about The Quills, 110. Actually, I I didn't even go to this, but you've expanded the list to how many? It's 135?
1: We're up around that number now, and we have another 10 or a dozen we're going to be adding within the next few months. There are some exciting journalism films actually on the way that we're looking forward to getting to. Keep an eye out for Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Adam and the Caves Don't Look Up with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. This is a dynamic project that we hope to keep on going as long as we're still watching movies.
2: And the funny thing about that, too, is, you know, we kind of talked about the process for how we rank them. I mean, you know, we had a lot of debate back and forth based on kind of our own individual thoughts on these movies and kind of the group thoughts on, on where they should go or where they could go. The fun now is with the new films, you know, trying to slot them where they make sense. It's like a, a constantly moving puzzle. I, I, it's kind of how I feel about it. Lou, I don't know if you feel the same way, but but that's that's also part of what makes it fun to continue doing.
1: And people keep coming back to it. It's one of our most hit stories at Quill.
0: And what's nice about that is, as opposed to something like the AFI list, which is 100, that when new movies show up that are great, they just slot out old movies, that might still be great, but aren't aren't as great as these other movies. So you, you end up losing these extra ones. So, so by expanding it, you're giving people more of what uh, they really should be getting. Lou and Nick, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: It's a pleasure. I hope you have us back when we're up to a thousand and ten. <laughs> yeah, we'll
2: thanks do. for having us. we Will do.
0: And that was our conversation with Lou Harry, editor at Quill Magazine and Nick Rogers of the Midwest Film Journal. That podcast was our second most popular episode of 2021. Be sure to check in next week for our most popular episode of the year. We'll also release our top 10 list. See you next week. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Lameo Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.